By the way, that is, uh, for those of you who don't know, that's, again, we, just because we show a movie clip doesn't mean we recommend the movie. Want to make that clear. That's from anger management and, um, movie anger management. And the transformation that, um, and confrontation that we're seeing there, it presented in a pretty humorous way, is the theme that I want to kind of center in on this morning. And in doing so, we're going to look at some things that I, I hope, I hope will encourage. I hope it, I hope you'll learn something. I hope you'll take something out of here with us. But um, this is this is some pretty important stuff here. And in case you in case you missed it, we're talking about this is our our sixth in this series of intentional living, and it's intentional about transformation and confrontation. And did you know that you're a work in progress? What I want to do is I want to show you very simply put three aspects of being a work in progress. And uh, and in doing so, we'll, well, it'll be kind of self-explanatory as we move on. Three thoughts I want you kind of just to track with me. The first one is real simple. Construction, you are a perpetual makeover project. That's a nice term now, makeover. That's kind of the, 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 the term of our, I don't know, this this. 10-year period or something, and uh, whether it be people or whether it be homes and all the TV shows that, that deal with that. But in all reality, you are truly a makeover project. Thankfully, we have someone on the job that's real good at that. It's, uh, it's God working in us. And, and this is speaking to the person who's committed his life to Christ. And, uh, and I want to show you a verse because it's a couple of verses I'm going to show you in, in all. But let me just begin with this first one in Philippians chapter 1. I am sure that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back again. What this ver- It's a great verse. Actually, it's one of my, I guess I say this about every Sunday, but it's one of my top five, okay? And I have a lot of top five, and if you really had to know the truth, my top five really is a lot more than five, but I always say that, so it's a point of emphasis, I guess. Um, you are an imperfect creature. Um, and you, you, once you've given your life to Christ, you've become this, this ultimate reclamation project that God is working in your heart. And it's, it's, an, it's an ongoing process. It goes on for all your life. And, and the whole, the key thing to that is that internal work begins in me, it begins in you, and we're all at different places. That's an important issue to think about. And it's an encouraging thing to think about, and it's uh, it's important because that helps us recognize a key ingredient here. That is, if I'm a work in progress, and you're a work in progress, and we've given our lives to Christ, making that assumption, um, if we've done that, and, and, and I'm a work in progress, and you're a work in progress, guess what? We're never on the same level. We're never on the same page. Level is such a bad word. We're never on the same page, usually. And as a result of that, what does that mean? That means I need to accept you where you are, and you need to accept me where I am, and we all accept one another, and we all just get along, right? Well, maybe. That's a, that's a good thought. Um, think on that for a moment, and I want to just move into the second thing. Before we do, we got somebody new on PowerPoint back there this morning, so he, he may be, he's really quick. So uh, just hang in there with me, Scotty. Um, first thing, construction. You are a perpetual makeover project. Listen, be patient with yourself. 
Sometimes, and this has happened to me, sometimes I'll, I'll have thoughts or I'll go through a thing and, and, and I get a little down and I shouldn't get down over it and I'll say, oh, well, you're just a shallow guy, Rich, or, or whatever. And, and this is a great verse of comfort to me to go back and just read this. Hey, I'm, okay, I've been walking in this relationship with Christ for, for a lot of years, but I'm not there yet. And frankly, I'm not ever going to be there until I go to meet Christ, whenever that is. And, uh, and I don't want to give us great assurance. Now, again, that doesn't mean that I should let that, you know, be used as some excuse for laziness. That doesn't mean that I shouldn't be diligent. And it doesn't mean that I shouldn't really try and put some accountability around me to, to try to be more than what I can be and, and, and to grow and, and, to, and to stretch. It doesn't mean that that shouldn't happen. All that should happen. But you're a work in progress. And, and, and the cool thing about this is, and we're not going to get into a whole lot of doctrinal issues on this, but this is a great verse also that talks about the fact that once we come to Christ, we're secure in Him. We're secure because that work continues on. He doesn't say, He doesn't say, um, He will, He will continue it as long as you want Him to. He says He will continue it until it is finally finished. There's some security in that. That when I have a down time, when I have a down moment, I have some discouragement, or I even, Lord forbid, maybe even sin, do something that's, that's wrong. Um, God's still working in my life. I've committed my life to Him. That's really encouraging. So that's the first thought that I want you to think. Construction, you're a perpetual makeover project. Second thing is some more comfort for you, alright? Comfort, grace, is to rule the day and the lifestyle. Let me take you to two passages. The first one's in Colossians chapter 2, and it goes like this. I've read this verse before, these verses before, and it's really good. Since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You must make allowance for each other's faults. Here we go. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Mm. Just as the Lord forgave you, this is a powerful little phrase, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Point being, forgive others. The most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us together, all of us together in perfect harmony. He says, have grace with one another. You make allowances for one another. Sometimes that means you forgive. Sometimes if somebody, and and, and some doesn't mean that everybody sins against me. Sometimes people have idiosyncrasies, and they're not sinful habits, and they're not necessarily something that's just horribly reprehensible, but they just irritate you. You ever have that with somebody? Like your mate, maybe. Your kids, your parents. And then you forbear with those people. You forbear. What does forbear mean? Well, I think the way this, this translation words it is really good. You must make allowance. I have it underlined there. We have it highlighted there. You must make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance for that. They're human. They, they, you know, they're not perfect and neither am I and we're going to move on. Now, the next verse is Romans chapter 15. Let me show you this. So accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, then God will be glorified. So he talks about acceptance there. The church, this thing we call the church, or the gathering of of God's people, however however you want to talk talk about that, and the people there who are pursuing what, at whatever level, a a relationship with God, uh, that's the one place 
where we're to have true acceptance, unconditional love, and encouragement that is to be found. And the dirty shame of the whole thing is, too many times, that is the one place you don't get any of that. And uh, I've seen it, maybe you have. Um, it's, it, the church is not a place, and, and this is something that's very important, and this isn't a, this isn't a message on ecclesiology, which is, which is church, but, um, or the doctrine of, of the church and so forth, but I'm going to put a few things in here. And that is this, this, this is not a place where, where people are to build some kind of an exclusive club uh, that accepts certain people and who rejects others who may be a little different in one way or the other, um, or those who might struggle with some of life's, what I call some of life's curveballs. Um, like, yeah, you know, I need, I probably need to explain this kind of inside terminology there. And, uh, between, between Isaac, Ike is our, our student of youth ministry. He's a pitcher. And, and last Sunday during the picnic, I got to catch, I've always wanted to throw a curveball. Never, been, never could throw one. I never could hit one. And, and I don't know if you know this story, but the first time I was in, I was in Pony League baseball that I had a, a true curveball thrown to me. I hit the dust. I mean, this ball was... Here's what a curveball does, in case you don't know. It comes right at you, and it was coming right at me, and this guy was a big, you know, big guy like I, throwing the throwing a fastball, I thought. And it's coming right at me, and I just... I just fell down, because the thing was going to hit me in the head, and it went right across the plate. It's so embarrassing. It's just so humiliating. I mean, it's scarred me for life in some ways, but, but um, that's what a curveball does. And sometimes in life, yeah, you see the correlation. Something's coming at you, and you're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And all of a sudden, you wait, and it's a whole lot different situation, a whole lot different pitch than what you thought was coming at you. Well, some people who come to a place that we call church, renaissance, whatever, have had a lot of those kind of things. You know, they got married, and it just didn't turn out like they thought it was going to be. They had kids, and it just didn't turn out the way they thought it was going to be. Got thrown a curveball. And, and you could just elucidate. You could just go one after another. They had this, and they had this, and they had this, and, and so forth. So the one place that, that there should be some acceptance, some comfort, and some encouragement is this group that gathers together for one purpose, and that is to pursue a relationship with God at different levels of where they're coming from. You see, and so that's, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Comfort in the fact that grace Grace is to rule the day and the lifestyle. And this is the one place, and you are the one person. Let me just put it this way. if Particularly if you're one of those people who is serious in your pursuit of a relationship with God, you're the one person where grace should be found and acceptance. And it should be comforting, not only to you, but to others. So that's the second thought that I want you to think about. The second aspect of this being a work in progress. One, construction, you're in a perpetual makeover project. Secondly, comfort, grace is to rule the day and your lifestyle. I'm to be a person of grace. Next week, we're going to take this a step further and talk about being an agent of grace. And we're going to talk about the most undervalued, rare commodity in all of New York and New Jersey. Come back and I'll tell you what that is. <laughs> Got to do something to get people in here. You know, I'm just going to do a lost leader here. No, um, not, seriously, we're going to talk about that. The most valued commodity and the most rare commodity in all of New York and New Jersey. Come back, all right? Stay tuned. Um, 
Now, let me make this little transition. Two thoughts so far. Construction. You're a perpetual makeover project. If you've committed your life to Christ, if you're, if you're deciding to, to pursue whatever that relates, some kind of a relationship with God, God is at work in you. And we're at different levels. So you're that, this extreme perpetual makeover project. There's some comfort. Grace is to rule your day and it's to rule your lifestyle and those around you. Okay? Now, that brings us to this. Some people continue to do damaging, hurtful, destructive things to each other. They hurt themselves with wrong choices. They hurt others with wrong choices and rotten behavior. It may be in the form of a marriage. maybe in the form of a family. It may be with friends in your neighborhood, people you work with. Some people... So, so what I've said so far, you would take those two thoughts. Well, let's see. We're all perpetual makeover project. I need to accept them. Comfort, I'm supposed to have grace. I'm just supposed to just, just, you know, just let that, you know, be like water off a duck's back. I'm just supposed to let that roll off and not deal with it and not have any problem with any of those issues and just continue to love and continue to accept. And can't we just all get along? Okay? Is that, is that what I'm supposed to do? No. The Bible gives us some other instruction. Now I'm going to take you to a passage in the Bible that, um, I have, I have struggled with for 25 years. I'm not exaggerating. For 25, I've been, for those of you who don't know me, I've been a pastor or in the ministry for almost 25 years. I have never been comfortable with the traditional interpretation of the passage that I'm about to show you. And I don't care if you, if this is the first time you've ever been in church. You have heard somewhere through movies or books or history or, or television of this thing called shunning or excommunication. Uh, in circles I come from, it's called church discipline. This is the classic passage that people take other people to. And I've struggled with this and for a long time, and I'm just beginning to get some... some I think better understanding. I, I, I have. I even called somebody, Steve Young, our our creative arts guy, and I were talking about it this week. And he said, "My dad, his dad's been a pastor for almost longer. I've been alive, right, um, for for years." And uh, I even called him because he had Steve had told me he'd done quite a bit of work on this uh, exegetically in terms of the text, as well as just in, in talking to scholars and so forth. This is a this is a, this is a difficult issue, but. This is your lucky day because you're going to hear the right interpretation now. Okay? So here we go. All right? Now, let me just show you this. Third thing. Hit it. Um, third thing. Clarification. When sins and oversights take place. So what do we do? We, we talk about this acceptance. We talk about this work in progress. So what do we do? Let me take you to this little few verses here. It's in Matthew chapter 18. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out, the fault. If the other person listens and confesses that you've won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If that person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. If the church decides you are right, but the other person won't accept it, treat that person as a pagan, pretty strong, huh? or a corrupt tax gatherer. This is the verse that, these are the verses that, that traditionally throughout the history of the church, people have used to 
excommunicate people. Well, we go to them once, and then if they don't listen, we go to them with two other people, and if they don't listen, we tell it to the church, boom, kick them out of there. And I want to tell you something, I've never liked that. I've never liked that. From the first time that I learned this, which was in college, and and even before that, because it goes against everything I learned in all the rest of other scripture, of love and acceptance, of Jesus, you know, going to, you know, some of these despicable people and, and dining with them. I've never been comfortable with that interpretation. So my my quest, and it's really been not just this week, it's been the last probably four or five or six, seven year deal that I've been trying to figure out, what does that mean? Because what is that all about? And you look at the context, this is the chapter he starts off in Matthew 18. He starts off this chapter talking about coming as, coming as a child, let the little children come to me, that type of thing, have the faith of a child. Next verse after this, I don't have it all for you, you can just look it up and read it later, is where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. This isn't about beating up people. And this is what, what, what does this mean? This isn't about that. Uh, this is about the fact, and let me just state it for you very clearly, and I've got a few things on this that I want to just make note. This is an alternative to covering up, to covering up, to sweeping wrongs under the rug, to the accept, to the, to the accept, you know, to the point of accepting others never means I become a doormat. You know, that's what this verse is, these verses are talking about. Because here's the real question. Go back to that. I still got it up here. Treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax gatherer. Here's what we need to do. How did Jesus treat corrupt tax gatherers? Well, I got good news. We got it in the Bible. We see a great example of that. And I even, I've even been to this place where he did this. All right? So let me show you this passage. I got it right here. It was in Jericho. Um, and it's in, um, it's in, uh, we don't have the reference. I got the reference for you right here. Where is it? I didn't write it down for you here. It's in uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho, made his way through the town, and there a man named Zacchaeus. He was one of the most influential Jews in the Roman tax collecting business, and he had become very rich. How to become very rich? Well, he screwed over everybody. That's how he became very rich. That's how tax gatherers in those days made their living. You say, oh, okay, you see, you owe the government 10%, and they'd say, you owe the government 20%, and they'd keep 10% and give the government 10%. I mean, that's how they made a living. That's how literally why it was such a cool thing to become a tax gatherer, because it was on commission, and you did very well. He tried to get a look at Jesus. He was too short to see. He had a short man's complex. He was too short to see over the crowds. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road so he could watch from there. And now when we were in Jericho, um, they have what they say is the sycamore tree that Zacchaeus supposedly climbed up. And I mean, some of these things we don't know for sure. But um, they say, and so I thought it was kind of cool. And I tried to climb the tree, but they wouldn't let you. But um um, I, I did, but I, they wouldn't let him. So when Jesus came by, now here it is, keep in mind, how does Jesus treat this corrupt tax gatherer? How does he do this? He came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he called him by name, Zacchaeus, you low down, dirty scum, get out of my life. Is that what he did? So what do you do if he's in the church today, in many, many churches today? Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down, for I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the crowds were displeased. You know, he was, he was gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. 
Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood there and stood to, said to the Lord, I will give my wealth to the poor, Lord. I have over, where I've overcharged people on their taxes, which is really, it's a Greek first class condition. He had overcharged them. It's assumed to be true. If I've overcharged people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a son of Abraham, and I, the son of man, have come to seek and save those like him who are lost. Isn't that good? See, it's a total different view of what we traditionally think we're supposed to do with people who have problems with sinful, destructive habits. That person, they're living with somebody that's not their mate. they, They have a drinking problem. They have a drug problem. They're this or they're that. Well, we need to go talk to them when we go talk to them. Okay, well, step two is they didn't listen. We need to go back. We'll go back. Okay, well, step three is we just tell it to the church and just say, get them out of here. That has been going on since before the Middle Ages. And I tell you, that is never the way of Christ. And that is, that is, that is such a twisted view, a traditional but twisted view of what this passage is after. This passage is talking about the fact that sometimes we need to confront discreetly, lovingly, gently, but we need to confront. We don't sweep things under the rug. That's why Jesus, this, this is great counsel. This is great, this is counseling psychology 101 right here. Somebody got a problem with someone? Don't hide it. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't just smile and say, everything's great. You go to them. And then it doesn't work. Well, you go to them again. And then it doesn't work. You say, well, let's get a couple other people involved that can help. And then you go to them again and say, hey, this is really a problem. See, here's what happens on this. And I've had more than, I've had nightmares with this verse because of some of the issues I've had to deal with. Inevitably, and this has happened to me half a dozen times, somebody will come and choose it. With me, it's been business deals. Two guys go into business together and it goes south. And, and, and what happens is, and this, I can, I'm, one guy, this actually happened. It's happened more than once. One guy came to me and says, you need to exercise discipline on him. And I said, why? Well, because he screwed me over in this business deal. I promise you, within a week, the other guy, the other guy that he's talking about comes to me, and he said, he didn't know about this other conversation. He says, you need to exercise discipline on that guy. I said, well, why? Well, he screwed me over. And I'm like, well, we got a real problem here. Why don't you both just leave? No, it's not what I said. But I thought it. Um, but you see, that's what happens. And everybody starts pointing fingers. That's not the point of this. That's not the point of this. The point of this is, let's go to one another in love, in gentleness, in kindness. Let's, let's, let's be open and let's talk about this. Let's don't sweep it under the rug. And if we have to call in somebody else, we'll, we'll, we'll call in somebody that can help us. Somebody that's involved or, or maybe a Christian counselor or maybe a mediator or whatever. It's somebody that can help us to try to come to some sort of resolution. And if that doesn't happen, what he's saying is, then you still treat them like the tax gatherer. How did Jesus treat the tax gatherer? He just loved them. He just treated, you know, it's what he was Zacchaeus. He would still go to him, but in a little bit of, he said, we basically start over again with that whole thing. Now that's what, now, now, I gotta, I gotta just, I gotta throw this in because some of you are sitting there thinking, because we talked about this a, a couple of weeks ago and with some friends and one of them brought this up. Well, isn't there a verse in there? I always love that when people say, isn't there a verse in there, uh, that says something that to, to don't associate with certain kind of people? And there is a verse like that. And I'm going to show it to you in just a second. Not yet. Because 
uh, and before, uh, I just got permission to say this this week. Um, when we had a the, sort of a precursor to the Summit Leadership Conference, which Willow Creek has, which we're associated with. And uh, they had a, Bill Hybels, the pastor of Willow Creek Church, spoke at this thing. It was by satellite. And so we went, Nick uh, Knockburn and I went to this thing uh, Thursday, I think it was. And, um, and, and Hybels gave a message on the five I don't knows of leadership, which was really kind of cool. And one of the pastors who was sitting beside me said, how come he can get there and talk about stuff he doesn't know? And, and, uh, and we can't do that. Well, I'm going to do that right now. And I got permission from Hybels, okay, to do this because I think this is kind of cool. I don't know what this verse means exactly that I'm going to show you. I don't know exactly what it means. I got some, I got some general ideas. You know, it's so much better when I first got out of school and I knew everything then. I just knew everything. <laughs> It was great. Life was so much simpler. It was just so black and white. Boom, 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 here it is. And I, don't have to, I didn't struggle with that. There it is. But anyway, life is like that, isn't it? And um, I don't know exactly what this means, but let me show it to you because it's the one that some other people still use. And uh, I, I don't have all that. I'll give you some things that I do know that it means. And uh, let me just show it to you. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5, verse 9. When I wrote to you before, it's Paul talking, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or are swindlers or idol worshipers. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. What I meant was that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a Christian yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. What does that mean? Here, I'm going to give you some conclusions. I mean, I mean, think about that. If you, if you take that, excuse me, let me finish reading it. Verse 12. Isn't my, it isn't my responsibility to judge others. That's all right. Go ahead. Go back. Go back. Go back. We're okay. Keep going. It isn't, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your job to judge those inside the church who are sinning in these ways. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. Here's the context of this verse. We have a problem in Corinth. The context is, if you read the whole chapter, there's apparently a guy who is, this is a little graphic, a little rough, just hang in there with me though, uh, who is apparently sleeping with someone either who is his mother or mother-in-law. It sounds very much like an incestuous relationship type of deal. And that's who he's referring to in this particular passage. So we know, go back, I want to show you that last verse, because just go back one. When he says, who, verse 11, what I meant was that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a Christian, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worship. Hey, could I, could I have the first Christian who has never indulged in one form or another, at least in thought, one of those things? Sexual sin, greed, worshiping idols, being abusive, being a drunkard, or being a swindler? At least in thought, because Jesus says the thought is, is as bad as the action. We've all been there at different times of our lives, in one form or another. Certainly some more than others in certain ways. I'm not denying that. So what does that, or what are those, what does that passage mean? And who's supposed to be excluded? You can go to the next, next uh, part of that verse now. I mean, who, who's supposed to be the one, remove the evil person from among you? Okay, real quick. Let me let me give you what what I what I do. This is this is real important. It's unclear about some aspects of the meaning of this verse. 
And I wrote this next line down, and I want to read it to you. This is, this is extreme predator-like behavior. It's allowing people to be put in serious danger by being around this kind of a person. Here's, a, here's just a thought, okay? Because this is very important that you try to get some understanding of this. It's interesting to me, and I'm not going to pick on the Catholic Church because of the problems that they've had recently, but it is a good example, and nobody is more grieved than me. For those of you who have the Catholic background, nobody is more grieved than me about what's going on with the abusive and the pedophiles and so forth in the Catholic Church. But throughout that whole time period that all that horrible stuff was going on, they didn't hesitate to have church discipline on other people. See, and here's the point. What is church discipline and what is excommunication? The only purpose that I can find in the Bible for excommunication that is in this particular passage is when, when it's not a safe place anymore. And that's not because somebody, you know, is doing this or doing this or, or had too much to drink or was having a problem in his marriage or, or, or lied about this or about that. That has to do with things like pedophiles. That has to do with a predator-type behavior. Yes, is there a situation? Are there situations where we in the church and leadership need to take action to protect other people? Yes, there are situations like that. They're extreme. But it's not just the normal, well, this, these people are, this person is saying, let's go to them, let's go to them, let's go to them, boom, you're out. It is predator-like behavior. That's all I can draw from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Even though the history of the church goes back to all this other stuff, um, you know, all the excommunicating people for this and for that and for this and for that. And it's not just for the purpose of excommunication. When we understand it from the Bible, it's for the purpose of protection. So are there extreme cases where I might say, you don't need to be here. Yeah, there are some very extreme. If, if a pedophile were, you know, continued in their ways, I would be, I would lead the charge. I wouldn't need any help, let me just tell you. I would take care of that situation real quick. Okay, and a number of other people here who are leaders would, with or without me, as they should. That's a different deal. That's not what we're talking about in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 is for personal relationships. Matthew 18, the passage, is when I come to you and say, hey, you really hurt my feelings. Did you sin? I don't know if you sinned, but you really hurt my feelings. And, and, and we, need to, we need to deal with this to move on in our relationship. That's what, man, not, oh, I just, I just gotta, I just gotta, I just gotta suck it up and, and not, you know, sometimes I do need to suck it up, but I don't cover stuff up. And some people live that way, some families live that way. Um, and what's, what Matthew 18 is saying, and, and, the, and the, my, my thought here, clarification, when sins and oversights take place, when troubles arise, be direct. Deal with this. Lovingly, gently, discreetly, but deal with it. The other thing is a very extreme example. One that we only have to deal with rarely, thankfully. The overriding principle comes from Luke chapter 7. Let me just show it to you real quick because I want to move on from here. But Luke chapter 7, stop judging others and you will not be judged. This is the overriding principle. Others will treat you as you treat them. Whatever measure you use in judging others, it will be used to measure how you are judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eyes when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First, get rid of the log from your own eye, then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. That's the overriding principle from Scripture right there. So clarification. When sins and oversights take place, we love and we accept, but there are times to confront lovingly, gently, 
discreetly. Whether that be my wife or my husband, my family members, my friend at church, my business associate. That's just, that's just smart. And the Bible includes it. That's just smart. Let me get you out of here, give you some takeout food, just kind of halfway review and halfway give you some other stuff to think about real quick. Be encouraged about you. Over time, God is weaving you into a unique masterpiece. Take comfort in that. And though you have disappointments and setbacks and failures, if you've given your life to Christ, God is at work in you. Take comfort. Take encouragement in that. You know, and don't be discouraged and beat yourself up and this and that. Thank God that he's still at work there. Second thing, be a safe person. Recognize that you're in this process and so are those around you. Let grace be your overriding principle of life. You're safe because you accept and you love people for who they are. Be that kind of a person. Can't do anything about the people around you, but you can do something about you. Be a safe person. You know, again, that doesn't mean you don't confront. That's there. That doesn't mean you don't lovingly and gently deal with, with problems. That doesn't mean we just sweep it under the rug. We don't do that. But we're still safe because we love and we accept. And we can do both. The Bible teaches us that. Third thing, be a compassionate confronter. We are not to gloss over, cover up, or suffer in silence. When wrong behavior becomes destructive or hurtful, it needs to be confronted lovingly. I've said this a number of times already. Lovingly, discreetly, and directly with the clear goal of healing, not condemning. That's what we do. That's who we are. That's why we can be intentional about this transformational and confrontational process that is going on in all of our lives. And you know what? I would bet, if I were a betting man, and I will under certain circumstances, um, I would bet that you probably come down one in one area or the other. We either find people who are just loving and accepting and never want to confront. And they have all kinds of, they're very, they're very kind and, and, and considerate and gracious, but they never want to confront. Or you, you come down in the other camp. You know, just want to confront over anything. All those people moved to New Jersey, by the way. Um, no, uh, just kidding, a little. Um, you know, you either come down using one of those one of those sides, and and, and the the biblical person, the person, even more than that, who's pursuing a relationship with God, is going to have a balance of both. They love and they accept, but at the same time, they have the ability to say, "Hey." That's not right. This is wrong. We're not going to sweep it under the rug. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it together. Let's figure this thing out. That's the deal. See, that's what we're talking about here. Be encouraged. Be safe. But be a compassionate confronter as well. Let's pray together. Lord, these are, these, these are a lot of things for us to think about, God. And as we come here just to the end of this... I've given a lot, a lot to just chew on here. And from, from the Bible, Lord, there is so much here, and this is all about being a well-balanced person. This is all about being really uh, exploring and experiencing what it means to have authentic faith in the world in which we live. And we want to be authentic.
We want to be real. We also want to be, we want to be the kind of people that you want us to be, Lord, but we also want to live the kind of lives uh, that are going to be produced from a person who, who is this way as well, because it's, it's uh, so much better than anything else. So I begin, Lord, by just asking you to work in our heart and in our lives for each one of us, each person here. Some here, Lord, are, are dealing with impatience with themselves, discouraged over where they are in their own lives, in their own relationship with you, not, not as far along as they think they should be. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd help them to see the truth of this. Some here are just getting run over, being used as a doormat. And I pray that you would see, they would see that they can be loving and they can be accepting, and, and that doesn't mean that they have to be a doormat either. Lord, I just pray that we would be sensitive to, to your promptings, that the, the inner voice that is, that is uh, dealing and is speaking to each one of us. Lord, for some of us here, it may, it may be mean that they just begin by just saying, Lord, right here, right now, I want to give my life to you. I want the process to begin. And I want to give my life to you right here and ask, ask you to come into my life and take it over. I believe you came and, and went to the cross and died and rose again to give me new life. And I want to, I want to trust in, in who you are for that right now. And you can do that right where you're sitting. We do, we do thank you, Lord for your love and your grace. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.